0: I get people saying to me on a, at least a couple times a week, thank you so much for the content. If not for your video, I would not be here. You know, cause there are people that literally plan their day to day. I didn't know this was the thing cause it's happened so much. I've, I've actually discovered people, you know, when they're feeling in that frame of mind, they'll actually plan it out and then they'll go and say their goodbyes and, you know, visit everyone's Facebook profiles or whatever. And, you know, I've had that many people that have been in that process and then a Facebook video pops up, you know, of me solving a problem and they go shit, you know, and to me, I take that shit pretty seriously because I'm very well, well aware that there's mums, dads, kids, aunties, uncles, grandparents, and grandmas right now that are present in a family unit that wouldn't be there if not for the fact I just bothered you know, to share a piece of content around addiction or dyslexia mm. or mental health or relationships.
1: You're listening to the Growth Manifesto Podcast, a Zoom video series brought to you by Web Profits, a digital growth consultancy that helps global and national businesses attract, acquire, and retain customers through digital marketing. This episode is a discussion with Kerwin Ray, business strategist, high-performance specialist, entrepreneur, and international speaker. We talk about how to drive business growth through social media from someone that has built a following of more than 1.3 million people on Facebook. Plus, we touch on entrepreneurship, leadership, professional development, and everything in between. This is a fast-paced, high-impact episode that I'm sure you'll enjoy. So let's get into it. Today we're talking with Kerwin Ray, he's a business strategist, he's a high performance specialist, he's an entrepreneur, and he's an international speaker. He's helped over 100,000 companies and businesses across the world in 154 uh, different industries through 11 countries worldwide. He's the host of the Unstoppable podcast. Uh, He runs a number of events, including the Fast Growth Summit and Nail It and Scale It, and he's become one of Australia's most well-known business personalities all through the power of content, social media, and adding extreme value at scale. Today, we'll be talking about entrepreneurship, social media for business, achieving success, growing a personal brand, and how to drive high performance through personal and professional development. And just quickly, before we get started, make sure to go ahead and hit that subscribe button so that you get the latest episodes as soon as they're released. Now, let's get into it. Welcome, Kerwin. Alex, honor to be
0: here, mate. It's, uh, you've been a good friend for a long time, and it's always good to catch up and have a chat.
1: Yeah, and um, we're just having some um, pre-show chat, and there's a lot to cover, and we've got a, a very short time frame. So we're both going to talk fast. That's yeah. what we said at the very start, Thanks and we'll try to and get through. Listening, Listen faster. <laughs> so we'll try to get through a lot of stuff, but we'll just make sure that, we'll, that we will talk about the good stuff, and we'll go into um, some detail um, across Great. some of your successes, because you have a lot of them. Let's That's get right. into it. So can we start with some history? Um, like what's been your journey? Because I'm sure now everyone just sees Kerwin on cross social media, which has got millions of followers and yeah, conferences and all that. So yeah. Look, I get asked that
0: question a lot, and I always respond, and it's never nice to respond to a question with a question. It depends on where you start. Like, you know, I, um, my story is, you know, maybe not unlike some others, but very different to other, other people's perhaps. I was born in Canberra, um, was brought up by a single mum on a pension. Now, my, my parents divorced uh, when I was about six months old, and um, yeah, I guess you could say I, I grew up in a, in a household that was full of love um but there wasn't necessarily what you call a lot of uh, entrepreneurial spirit necessarily but it wasn't until you know I started to realize that you know money was a factor we didn't have a lot you know and there's a, there's a saying that voids breed values and because we didn't have a lot i assumed that was something that was missing from our lives it may have added you know a little bit more value and so from the moment i worked out i could make money yeah, I was game for anything, you know, washing cars, mowing lawns. First business was actually mowing lawns, uh, washing cars, actually. And me and my mate got a bucket together and we washed the neighbor's car and he had a, a steel watch on and we put scratches all over it. And so you know, our parents were <laughs> doing that. And then we, you know, we grabbed the lawnmower out and didn't ask the parents to do that. And then we ran across the driveway, hit a stone, smashed a giant uh, a giant window. And then I settled on this, actually, kind of interesting because uh, I was living in a semi rural area at the time in Townsville selling uh, manure, but because everyone was doing that at the time it was quite a fad it still is but we decided to put it in um, garbage bags put it in wheelbarrows and take it door-to-door uh, and that was actually a raging success in my first six weeks there we made about 360 bucks my, my me and my mate were about 13 years of age and it was all in the pursuit of making money to go to the townsville show wow um, and since then yeah look my, my story is unique i failed every subject from year one to year 12 diagnosed adhd dyslexic the age of uh seven eight you know undiagnosed spd on the spectrum um, and um, yeah, I've, I've had a gosh, as there's so many things in my life to, that I could really go into. I had a, my first near death experience at the age of 15, which was actually probably something important as a part of the journey because, you know, I was handed a, a pretty decent shit sandwich. You know, not only was I not academically <laughs> bright in any stretch, I never read a book until the age of 23. Um, I, I considered the only thing I had was my sporting prowess, and it wasn't great, but I at least thought I had enough, you know, potential to be a professional sportsman. And then at 15, yeah, I fell on a broken bottle, cut my nerves, tendons. Uh, And I was told I was going to be disabled. And so that in itself created a a very foundational journey uh, at a very um, important stage of life where I learned fundamentally how to overcome massive obstacle. And it really did kind of shape where I went to from there. And uh, I had about 48 different jobs. Uh, throughout school before i stumbled upon i guess you could say entrepreneurship and you know like many other people i failed a few times had a security company that uh that didn't go so well um before i actually you know started to find my my groove and my groove was in in the process of buying building selling businesses but where i really started to thrive was in the area of education and uh, that's where i guess you could say I really p- paved my way from a you know a, a, a motivational or not motivation more of a a purpose-driven perspective because I worked out very early you know in my mid-20s I could make money but I realized I could make money doing a whole range of things and there were some things I made money at. I was just miserable and mm-hmm. so after making money losing money a couple of times you know that's quite humbling you get the opportunity to reflect and go what were the things that I was doing that I really enjoyed when I was making money let's do more of that and that's how I kind of ended up where I am now.
1: Yeah, right. I mean, that's such a good intro. I mean, you've covered a lot of stuff in just a couple of minutes, mate. So I do appreciate it. I think because I've got like a few talking points. Let's jump to entrepreneurship because you did mention that. And I think that would be a good next step. To you, what does it mean to be an entrepreneur?
0: Gosh, labels, hey? Labels. In I
1: know. We've got to go down the path, though.
0: You know, because there's a lot of people that are quite protective of the term. So you can't call yourself an entrepreneur unless you've got the battle scars to prove it. And now I think there's a certain credibility that's required to really kind of put yourself in the in the realm of an entrepreneur. You know, it's like saying I'm a because prof- an entrepreneur to me is a professional businessman, right? There's someone who is a professional businessman who's proven. You know, so I can't go out to you and say and you say, "Oh, you play tennis." Yeah, I'm a professional tennis player, Alex. You know, I, I can't <laughs> do that because I'm not a professional tennis player. And so, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for giving credit where it's due. And you know, once you've been in business for a period of time where you've got some runs on the board, you've got some levels of successes, you've got, you know, a level of skill and a base level of base 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 you know, fundamental mastery. You know, I think then you can really start looking at kind of hanging on that mantle. I think for a long time, I think a lot of people put that 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 term up in a mantle. You know, it's been a long time since I've really cared about what people said or how people labelled me. But I do understand, like it's a badge, and everybody wants to wear it. You know, but in some industries, so as being a professional sportsman, and you know, you've got to earn that title.
1: Yeah, right. And so, what do you call people that have that are starting on that journey, but that haven't achieved success or mastery?
0: Well, I think, you know, it depends on where you're in the your journey. If you're still early stage, I'd say you, you know, you're a, you're a business owner. You're an early stage startup, you're a business owner. I don't think there's a I think there's a and again, this is getting into the nuances of a distinction mm. Business owner and an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is someone that has been able to get paid consistently for their work. They're a professional athlete in the in the in the commercial space. You know, a business owner is someone who can say, "Well, I have a business. I haven't made any money yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I have a re- I have an ABN. You know, and I'm making yeah. some bucks and I'm covering my cost of living. You know, you know, I'm a business owner." Um, yeah. And that to me is, it's a small distinction. I don't, as I said, I don't get into it, but for me, if I was to sit down and, and, and create a category, that was how, that, that's how it'd be when you're handing out the awards for, are you an entrepreneur or not?
1: Yeah. Because the reason I ask that is because there's also the entrepreneur's uh, mindset. Oh, yes. Now the mindset, I mean, you know, it's, so we try to hire people that have the entrepreneurial mindset. So they may not be entrepreneurs, but they have the mindset of an entrepreneur. Yeah. So how would you define the mindset of an entrepreneur?
0: Yeah, look, the mindset of an entrepreneur is very different from the mindset of an employee. The mindset of an entrepreneur is someone who's very value-driven. You know, their goal is to deliver as much value as they possibly can in the time that they've got. And I think that's, you know, that's evident in the way, you know, a a lot of people, you know, uh, perform. And so for me, yeah, it comes
1: down to your ability to add value. Your ability to add value. And I think there's also a component of ability to take action in the fear of- Absolutely, in the face of failure or something like, in along those lines. Contrast, yeah, you know,
0: there's a whole gambit we could go down, but in contrast to like an employee, an employee is someone who sees time for money. You know, they see if I give an hour, I want it to be paid for an hour. Whereas, you know, the, the entrepreneur mindset or that entrepreneurial mindset, they have to have they have to be a little bit more long term. It's not so much about time for money; it's about an outcome. You know, and so whether you play above the line or below the line, and employee employees or most employees or what i call staff play below the line, where they're you know they're trying to tick boxes. You know, they're starting things but they're not necessarily following through. When you're playing above the line, you're all about completion. And that to me is the entrepreneurial mindset. because as an entrepreneur, based on the category I just gave it, you know, mm. you're not worth anything unless you can produce something. And so that's you know that's a form of measurement of how we would measure it. And so for me, and it's interesting because we look for team members who have that entrepreneurial mindset and then sometimes we get really upset because they go and start their own business. <laughs> but, you know and I'm sure you've seen this yourself, Alex. Yeah what what you know the, the ultimate in the ultimate talent member i hate using the word employee or staff you know is someone who's had enough experience to realize they don't want to be in business for themselves okay but they realize that they do think like a business owner you know and that to me i think some people get stuck in that space where they think like a business owner they're an employee but they keep trying to do the employee thing but it's not just it's just not cut out for their risk profile in some cases
1: so hiring well in my experience, if you have a team of people that have the entrepreneur's mindset, and if yeah. you can attract them, that's a very powerful team. That's that's the kind of team okay. that can win championships. Yeah. How do you attract them as a company? Yeah, so for the leaders out there yeah. who want to hire these kind of people, how would you attract them? And what would you do to keep them?
0: Like attracts like, you know. And at the end of the day, I think when it comes down to talent, the culture is everything. Because this is one of the things that I've observed about very talented people. In most cases, they're not doing it for an extrinsic factor. They're doing it for an, an, an not doing it for an extrinsic factor. They're doing it for something that is intrinsically driven. And so, for me, you know, I want to make sure that I, I align with people that are ideally looking to do things because they want to be better. And that's that's what mastery is. Yeah, mastery is the pursuit of being better. And and so for me, when it comes to talent and, you know, in this question specifically, it's how do we, how can we assess what good talent is very quickly in the hiring process to ensure that this, you know, this hasn't been a waste of time. And so for me, in order to get those right people, we have to create an environment that is attractive for them to want to work in. And that's what a culture is. And a good culture is bred by good leadership and performance culture is bred by performance leadership. You know, leadership is a visible trait. It's, 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 not, a, it's not a badge. It's a game of visibility. And monkey see, monkey do. And so for me, if you want a high performance team, first of all, you have to create an environment where it's very welcome. But secondly, there needs to be a benchmark and an example that is set by someone, ideally the CEO, who is consistently demonstrating a set of values that are performance-based values, but it's evident in the in the way that they talk, you know, the way that they walk, the way that they show up, the way that they complete. And that then becomes the benchmark for us to leverage on and go, well, hang on, you know, because if, if I'm not willing to do something, then that gives someone permission to, you know, essentially take the same position. And so for me, yeah, high performance, te- high performance environments, you know, in order to create a high performance environment, first of all, it has to be welcome, as I said. And that's an important point because some people, you know, hire really great talent, but then they surround them with toxic people who are threatened by good talent, who undermine them and sabotage them. And so that to me is, again, it's an aspect of the culture and what's, what's acceptable and what the standards are, mm-hmm. um, which will determine the level of trust and how well people perform. But if you don't have a high-performance leader, you're not going to have a high-performance team in most cases unless you have high-performance you know, leaders within that team. You know, Jocko Willink said it best. There are no bad
1: teams. they are just bad leaders. Such a good point. And um, i got my talking points, but you're making me jump all over the place because there's so many things which I want to ask you right now. Okay, let's say that then you look at your team, And your team isn't the team that you want. And if we take like Jocko's point that there's no bad teams as bad leaders, that's the first place to start to mirror in the. You hired all of them. <laughs> you
0: chose all of them. They were all your decision. Start with you, you know? And that's and I, I say this about life. Like if you want to get better at life, get to know who you are. You know, if you want to be a better leader, get to know who you are. And you know, I think when we look in the mirror, you know, especially with an unbiased, unconditional perspective, to really look at where our strengths and weaknesses are. Because right now, like the environment that you've got is the environment you've created. And if you're looking around the environment going, oh shit, it's my team. Gosh, you know, there's only one consistent thing in there, and that's you. It's like the, the person who goes from relationship to relationship. To relationship and every time they go to a relationship they have the same problems and they come out and they go i just don't understand why i keep attracting that same personality so well you're that person
1: <laughs> you know you're that you know you're more than 50 percent of that creation so where do you start when you say all right wow damn it is me yeah what's a place that you can start oh self-audit you know really self-audit and vulnerability
0: because and that's what i've found is really in, in powerful from a leadership perspective when you can stand in front of your team and go you know what, guys i fucked up you know, I, I allowed this standard to prevail. I didn't hold this standard. I'm human, like everyone else, and I want to apologise for allowing that standard, you know, to be accepted as something that is permissible in this environment because it's not, and that's my fault. You know, and I've done that so many times this year because we've had, you know, some challenges as a live event company, and I've can't tell you how many times I've had to take a knee in front of the team and said, "Guys, my fault." You know, I accept full responsibility for how we got here. Um, You know, we had a a restructure recently, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I've been burning, you know, because we took about a $12 million hit this year, but we're very well capitalized. And so we're quite strong. But at some point, you know, we got to the point where we're going to have to restructure, you know, because as we pivoted to digital, digital was tracking incredibly well, but it didn't quite, you know, make Mm -hmm. the mark of where live was in order to, you know, to make things balanced. And we're like, okay, we're going to have to do a little bit of a restructure. And I said to the team, guys, I'm really sorry, you know, because I've spent the last nine months trying to fucking bust a melon and a Mm -hmm. nut trying to create sales channels and marketing channels in order to build sales and revenue so that we could m- match life so they didn't have to have this conversation. But we do and so it's my fault and so I want to apologize for that you know? and as a result, we had to let a few people go and that's never nice and that's again an important aspect of leadership is that important of being able to embrace humility and embrace the challenging things you know? and that for me was a, a big one and my entire team got to see it you know, very publicly. You know, I didn't hide from that fact at all um, and again, it's, uh, it breeds, you know, what people see, it breeds behavior.
1: So many good points in there. I think it is interesting when everyone wants to have a company that's all just happiness and the bags and everything is good. But, you know, like in business, it's also can be hard sometimes. It's also you got to make the hard decisions that's for the greater good. And, you know, like how you approach those situations. Sometimes it's your first time, sometimes it's your 10th time, but they're never easy. And they're always a challenging part. And if you're a good leader, it becomes easier, but it's never easy. It's never easy. It
0: does become easier. And this is the thing, like, and, uh, th- especially in the environment we're in right now, there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of team members right now, and a lot of talent members, they're feeling, everyone's feeling the uncertainty, not just the business owners, but also the teams as well. And they're looking to the most certain person in the room. You know, who's got the most certainty? And if no one's got certainty in the room, that, you know, the team's going to be under, it'll undermine the team and they'll be fucked. But if you as a leader can just constantly show up, you know, and as you said, anyone can lead on a 28 degree day. Anybody can lead on, you know, on an, anyone can do personal development when life is great. <laughs> You know, if there's 28 degrees and there's dolphins on the starboard, you know, there's 15 knot wind, it, we're cruising, baby. I can lead this boat anywhere in the world, you know. But ha- how are you when there's a storm approaching? How are you when it's on top of you? How are you when it actually escalates to a cyclone, you know? Are you, are you in there hiding in the galley, you know, with everyone else? Or are you out there charging and, you know, strapping, batting down the hatches? And that's what people see. And that will inspire people to perform at levels, you know, above and beyond what in most cases they would otherwise because you're the example. It's a visible example. And that shit's inspiring.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, like in those kind of situations, like it is, it is like an athletic sport. Like your fitness is important, your psychology is important, the people that, that are surrounding you are important. Sport, it is a, f- and that's what a lot of people don't realize. Entrepreneurship is a professional sport
0: and every different business is a different discipline of professional sport. With what I do, there's a level of fitness that I have to have when I'm speaking all the time, when I'm doing meetings all the time, you know, and if I don't have that fitness, I don't perform and I can't compete as well, you know, and I think that's that's a big mental shift for a lot of people because they don't want to see themselves as a, an athlete necessarily. They want to see, them, I'm just a business owner. But if you look at the, the and I don't know if you've seen The powerful Engagement or if you read the book, The Power and go, of course you have your your fucking book, Where Am I <laughs> me? Now, What I love about that book is how it looks at the business athlete and going, well, hang on, when you look at the, the fact that we are professional athletes in a business context and you compare us to normal athletes, how much time do normal athletes spend, you know, uh, training? how much time do they spend rest and recovery? And how much time do they spend in competition? You know, it's like 3% of time in competition, 70% of the time in rest and recovery, and the other 30%, 25% of the time, you know, in in training. But as business owners, we're in 98% competition, you know, maybe 1% training and half a percent rest and recovery. And, you know, that's why, you know, the entrepreneurial landscape is littered with casualties from not just physical health but also mental health because Mm -hmm. it is a duality. You know, and to me, if you t- approach it like what you're saying, as a professional people, there's a psychology to professional entrepreneurship. There's a physiology, there's a biology to performing at a high level as a as a business owner, and there's a fitness. You know, mm. great contrast.
1: Yeah, and just like, and just to wrap up this point as well, that just like a professional athlete, surround yourself with the best coaches, visualize at the point, at the times when you're not training. You know, like these things are important.
0: Are te- if you want to be a tennis great and you're playing with beginners, you're fucked. Doesn't mean you can't play with beginners, but you have got to start playing with someone who can outrun you, someone who can outhit you, someone who can outserve you, because that's only how you're going to hone your reflexes to become faster. And again, another issue, another point we could talk to is why people don't step up because it's comfortable. You know, they don't have to try so hard. And as, as mammals, that's something that we like to do is fit in. Mm.
1: Mm. Okay, man, we could spend an old, a whole hour just on leadership. Let's just so now. Let's shift to social media, right? Because last few years you've blown up on social media. One point three million followers on Facebook, one hundred sixty-six thousand plus followers on Instagram, uh, fifty-two thousand subscribers on YouTube. There's TikTok, some I'm sure. There's Snapchat, I'm sure that's everything. How? Like, what did you do? Like, what was your secret sauce? As everyone wants to know, like, what's the what's your approach? Hard work to become
0: an overnight success. Look, I think you know, and 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 to. And, to give context, like we've had now well in excess, just on Facebook, over half a billion video views since 2016. Well over eighty percent of that is organic. <clears throat> so we don't just have followers, like we have very high levels of engagement, you know, in the millions. Um, and so for me Look, I got lucky and uh, by lucky I meant, you know, timing meant, <laughs> timing, there was an intersection of timing and and knowledge and experience where, you know, I bumped into a guy called Gary Vaynerchuk who you know as well. Uh, we hired him to come and speak for our K2 elites. He came out and spoke at the back of the room. I hit him up and I was like, oh, hey, Gary. And at that time I had like 52,000 followers on Facebook, shit engagement. and I But I thought I'd kind of like, oh, hi, Gary, look, I'm on social media. And I didn't know as much about Gary at the time and I learned very quickly and yeah, he just, he spent 15 minutes very kindly just taking my part, taking me apart and just telling how much my social media sucked. And I went away that Christmas, uh, Christmas 2015. And I was like, right, something's got to change. I, I need to make a serious shift. And I had six weeks off and it was too long, but it was good because I got bored and I decided, right, social media is going to be it. And so I came back, hired a filmmaker, literally the 23rd of January. Uh, that, that relationship didn't work out. And then six weeks later, I found another guy, Matthias, who is now still my filmmaker today. Uh, and I just got a guy just to follow me around with a camera. And we initially launched with a piece of content called the Social Experiment, which was just a documentary of behind the scenes of me transitioning between a traditional marketing business and a social media marketing business. And that became what you'd call a pillar piece of content. But where we really started to blow up is when we were taking these documentaries, like these, you know, 15, 25-minute documentaries, and we're taking out 30 30-minute 30-second 30 clips and 60-second clips and two-minute clips of me, you know, having a charge or dealing with a situation. And it, yeah, it just really blew. Blew up, um, and look, I think it resonated for a whole range of reasons. You know, people say, and, and by the way, oh gosh, I remember this is back in the days when we we're getting like, you know, re- reach of you know, thirty million in some cases a week, uh, organic, you know, and that was, you know, going back a while, but it just blew up and blew, it just kept on going and going and going and going and going, and it was really quite humbling. But I, the only thing I can really put it down to is apart from really good timing, is really good quality utility content that was marketed in a very strategic way so that it didn't look like marketing that solved a whole bunch of people's problems without him having to spend a cent with me that made them that made me endearing it built trust it built rapport uh, and as a result you know it created a, a flood of not just interest and engagement but also you know uh, revenue and sales in the back end
1: yeah right and like your content you've you take little snippets also of uh, your conferences as well, like of your seminars as well, and you give sneak previews and it's good stuff, right? And so you found there's certain content that performs better, there's certain what? lengths or anything.
0: I know my market, you know, and, I, and again, my, my higher end market, you know, is uh, 30 to 55, uh, 1 million to 100 million business and, you know, outliers at 300 million outliers on the startup, 50-50 uh, male, female, uh, about, you know, close to 90% are in a relationship and it's about 85 to 87% are in a parenting dynamic. Um, and so, this happened totally by accident, by the way, but what I do is I talk about everything I'm doing. Let's say, You know, I get documented because there's two types of content you can create. Create content, sit to camera and talk to it, or documentation where you just have someone follow you. Conferences, offices, and that's what that's my style of content. I get captured talking about everything I'm interested in, and so I'm interested in you know, uh, obviously business, social media, performance, parenting, mindset, spirituality. But it's been amazing the piece of content that has blown up more than anything else is parenting. Um, which is quite interesting. And what, when you really look at this this statistic I'm about to give you, this is going to make you go, what the fuck? 70% of our audience on social media are not entrepreneurs or in business. You know, so, and again, let that land. And right now – we have no commercial offering um, for the general public. We we have one that we did f- five years ago that we're bringing back called the Power to Create, uh, which is going to be for the general public. We'll be launching that again next year. But up until now, we don't. And so we haven't even really scratched the service of our audience yet. We've only been really servicing a very small segment of our audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so within that, obviously, a lot of entrepreneurs are parents. But the parenting content, it has just gone bananas. It's a, and it's maybe helped me identify that you know it's not just a lot of entrepreneurs that are wanting to know how to be better parents or better leaders as parents. Um, but there's also just a lot of people in general that just want to be better, you know, as human beings and create a better generation of humans because
1: they've realized, realized that
0: their parents in some way have maybe fucked them up.
1: <laughs> I mean, I think um, there's a, oh, I forget the book. There's something along the lines of um, how to not fuck up your kid or something like that, right? And I was telling you about that, that James Oliver book.
0: Uh, it's called They Fuck You Up. Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> it's a book on parenting. It's called They Fuck You Up. Yeah. Um, and you know, everyone does the best that they can. But one of the things that I'm learning is parenting is becoming a very hot topic, you know, especially with COVID. But it was just even pre-COVID. We, we've got about 100 million views just on parenting content.
1: So what do you say then to this discussion, we'll call it, where you should be making content that is for your audience only. Stay focused on that. and not Because you, you know, seem I- to be stretching I- it out. I am but I am still making I'm making content for my
0: audience 87% of my high paying clients are parents. So But it's
1: parenting content it's
0: not what you sell them about. This right? is oh let me show you the magic of Yeah uh,
1: yeah this is the part which I want to talk about.
0: This is where you want to get to is it? Yeah. So this is really part of our strategy is we've created multiple verticals of content. So we've got a business vertical, we've got a meditation, uh, spiritual vertical, you know, we have um, a health vertical, uh, a parenting vertical, an ADHD and dyslexia, uh, an addiction vertical, mental health vertical, performance vertical. And so what we've done, and you know, your guys, who the tacticians out there are going to love this, we've employed a really strategic marketing process whereby we funnel our videos. And so we advertise a lot of videos, all of our videos, 99% of the videos that we have there's no call to action. There's no link to a website. It's just a video, utility video. But when someone watches that video, so the top of the funnel video might be on parenting. Okay. And so that'll capture the people. And we go broad, not just pa- parents in business. I go broad. And because I want everyone who likes this to share it, because they may not be a business owner, but at the top of the funnel, I don't really care they will share it in their network they're going to have business owners in their network that's going to add them to the top of the funnel we then retarget those people with Mm -hmm. content that is a little bit more business orientated okay and then we slowly as we walk down the funnel and you know some of our funnels are between 7 to 30 videos deep you know we essentially get the content more pure related towards business and so as a result we get this really segmented qualified audience down the bottom you know we might start with a segment let's say of i don't know let's say 5,000 but by the time we get down the bottom it might only be 250 but the segment that we're starting with right now, like we've got we've got bottom of the funnel campaigns right now, where we've got like forty nine million people in the audience, you know, at the bottom of the funnel on one funnel, <laughs> you know. And um, and so for us, we just continually roll up. We'll have all these different top of funnel hooks that will get people into the funnels and then we're just constantly putting people through a funnel. But what makes our content or our marketing strategy really, I guess, unique is we're not bombarding people with ad messaging. We're not bombarding people with direct response. You know, we're essentially sequencing where it's roughly every 7 to 15 exposures we will drop a call to action in front of them. And here's what I've discovered. If I go direct call to action for a lead gen you know i will pay you know and sometimes more sometimes less but let's say on average i was paying about 42 bucks a lead okay but as soon as i switched to the utility funnel where i wasn't putting you know direct response at the top of the funnel i was warming people up you know i was getting one and two cent views for the first seven to ten videos and then i was getting a dollar 65 conversion down the bottom you know and so that engages this psychology that's called the mirror exposure effect which is a psychological psychological phenomena whereby people tend to develop a preference for things once they become familiar with them and in social psychology is called the familiarity principle and you'd know you know this concept very well. We need to be exposed to a product or service or a brand multiple times before something inside us shifts, it clicks and then we go, I want to actually talk to someone about that. Not buy, talk. You know, and back in 2005 it was 5.4 exposures. In 2012 it was 12.8 exposures. And they predicted by 2019, 20 it was going to be 20 exposures were required to trigger that same level of familiarity. And so in a new age world like this, you know, we've got to ask ourselves a question, how do we market you know to an audience that in most cases They don't want to be marketed to. Well, you don't market to them. You help them, you know, and and you understand that the social environment for marketing is not the traditional environment for marketing. The traditional environment for marketing, it's culturally acceptable to pitch. In the social environment for marketing, it's not, okay? It's like inviting 50 people to your birthday and 49 show up with presents and one shows up with a fucking sandwich board and brochures and they're trying to sell the other 49 people. It's just not socially appropriate. Okay, and this is the challenge that people have. They're taking traditional methods and trying to deploy them in a social context, and wondering why they're polarizing the audience, or they're not getting the sentiment or the traction, you know, that they're really looking for in a social context. We're mammals. We're collaborators. We like to help people, and that, by virtue, is what creates attention. Is, uh, is there, if some help, is it going to entertain me, inform me, educate me, make me laugh, make me cry? How's it going to add something to my life right now, outside of oh, another message, another direct, you know, another direct call to action, which after a while, as you know, we just end up turning into banner blindness or. Res- resentment and that's that's even worse imagine having a client see your brand they're like oh i see their fucking ads everywhere i hate them like that's just not the sentiment
1: you want yeah we do a lot of content but i think we also do a lot of retargeting and i'm sure that there's lots of companies who'd be like we're profits because i've been retargeting on facebook since 2012 so there's there's teenagers that now have competitive companies now that like hey i saw you when i was just a teenager i'm like oh goodness i know
0: (laughs) Gary these kids are growing up quickly mate.
1: Um so what platform is your favorite platform right now?
0: Facebook. I love Facebook. I'm i lo- I'm a Facebook loyalist in many respects. Don't get me wrong we've done really well on TikTok, you know, we we're, we're 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 streaming towards about um 300,000 on TikTok. Um Instagram does well for us, but Facebook just continually performs from an impact perspective. Um, and also from an ad perspective, you know, it gives us the best ROI of any platform on the market, um, but it also has the best, um, gives us the best exposure um, of any platform on the market from an organic perspective, because we still get really mad organic reach and everyone's saying organic reach is dying and, it, and it's not as good as what it used to be, mm. you know, but I, I still, I still, you know, look down at my reach and, you know, I think right, you know, right now, uh, last week we're sitting on around 15 million, you know, just for the week. And so, you know, there's still reach to be had. Um, and I I just love the platform because I can literally get on there and it's just <clears throat> stream after stream after stream of people who are sharing how their life has been impacted in some way shape or form. And I've received and this is a really interesting consequence and side effect of content marketing. I have now received in excess of a thousand messages. One I even just got the other day. It was only the other It's probably down a little bit now. Where I get people saying to me on a, at least a couple times a week, "Thank you so much for the content." if not for your video, I would not be here. You know, cause there are people that literally plan their day to day. I didn't know this was the thing because it's happened so much. I've, I've actually discovered people, you know, when they're feeling in that frame of mind, they'll actually plan it out and then they'll go and say their goodbyes and, you know, visit everyone's Facebook profiles or whatever. And, you know, I've had that many people that have been in that process and then a Facebook video pops up, you know, of me solving a problem and they go, shit, you know, and to me, I take that shit pretty seriously because I'm very well, well aware that there's mums, dads, kids, aunties, uncles, grandparents, and grandmas right now that are present in a family unit that wouldn't be there if not for the fact I just bothered you know, to share a piece of content around addiction or dyslexia mm. or mental health or
1: relationships. And I've seen some of those um, streams of comments on some of those videos. There's, they're like, they get pretty emotional. They get pretty Man, it's insane. full on. Um, just to lift it back up again um, to, uh, to more um, to marketing um, stuff. But, like, is there a length? Well, let's talk about the organic thing, right? Because that organic side of things, um, like you started and it was already dead. <laughs> I start, like I got my growth when organic was apparently already dead. Dead, right? And the thing is, it was generally dead for most companies that were doing that non-engaging, pretty boring content. But what was, like, how did you get such large organic reach? Was it the? I think it was the documentation style.
0: It was the style of content. I showed everybody everything, and I don't know. Have you seen the social experiment? Like yes. I, I showed people my fucking divorce. Like I actually had, had and you know, my ex-wife, and you know, our, our families are friends, and you know, I actually had my ex-wife reaching out to me, going, "Okay, you have to start pulling some of this stuff back." <laughs> I'm not comfortable with some of the stuff you're showing you because I, I literally said when we signed up for this, it's access all areas. I'm not hiding fucking thing, a thing, and I said that to everyone, the team, you know, my ex-wife, and everyone's like, yep, yeah, yeah, we're all on board, and I'm like, well, that was part of the deal, and she's like, well, no, it's at a point now where I'm uncomfortable. And when people get to see you, it's one thing. But it's when they get to learn who you are, it's when they get to see you in a tough situation. It's when they get to see you handle failure or handle success or handle a highly vulnerable situation. They really start to fucking care. And I think that's where we really struck a chord. Like people look at me and they go, you just – and I, I've heard this so many times where people come to me and go, man, you're just so fucking real. You're just so real. And it's like, yeah, I am. Like I'm, I'm real flesh and blood, But – I just don't care what people think. And as a result, you know, that gives me a, a liberty of expression that I think inspires a lot of people to go, fuck, you know, I wish I could just, you know, be like that or I am like that and I relate to that. So
1: then what do you, what would you advise to the companies that are earning between say one to hundred million dollars a year or whatever, right? That, and let's say that they're more the 50 to hundred million dollar companies, right. That have, Staff operations and all that, and they now want to really start to get traction on social media. But they're like, "What am I going to do? Just get someone to follow me around all day?" Like, how can these larger companies start to kind of you've got produce to produce content that can get that connects? Yeah, look to me, it's
0: about finding the narratives. You know, you've got to find the storylines that resonate with the audience. And it just so happens my narratives resonate really well with my audience. And so, depending on what type of business you are, I'd be looking within that business to find out where you've got natural narratives that are playing out or naturally that would resonate really well with your clients and then document that. Now, there might be some businesses where well, we can't document what we do. And I'd say, well, I dare say you probably could. You know, you just got to think a little bit strategically about how you could actually go about that. The challenge is then is obviously relinquishing, you know, the power of a brand. But, you know, w- w- what is Big Brother? You know, Big Brother, who's Big Brother? <laughs> you know, how many people are associated with Big Brother? It's, it's not funny. And I'm not saying you want to become a Big Brother. But what I am saying is there's no reason why you can't have some form of a reality media division or a ra- reality media, you know, content production division in any organization Organization where you're just looking, at how do we, you know, actually capture something that we do that would really resonate well with our audience that translates? Um, and look, I think it'd be hard pressed to find some businesses that couldn't because we've done this with landscape gardeners, directional drillers, mining companies, seed companies. Like, it it, it can be done. You know, it it, it just comes down. You know, we had one guy who did um, road surface concrete preparation. He, he he and you know he was getting business off Snapchat just by you know, <laughs> Snapchatting him. You know, grind concrete. So to me, it's 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 about you know just first of all being visible to your audience, but then on some level exposing them to a narrative. And looking at what those narratives look like, because you know, not everyone might be able to go and create some kind of documentation content. You might go, "Well, we don't have the ability to document anyone," you know, T's and C's and rules and laws. Okay, well, great. And then maybe your strategy needs to be content creation. You know, my strategy is content documentation, and that works really well for me because I don't have the time to sit in front of a camera. Whereas if you know you, you find yourself at a a bypass where you don't have a personality you don't have a narrative you go okay well what are some of the problems we can solve for our audience and let's create really compelling and engaging content that would solve some of those problems but the most important thing is without trying to sell them something mm-hmm. and this is what i want everyone to understand you know because the moment people sniff the sell the moment people sniff the marketing that's what in some cases turns them off and that's why our content works so well because there's just no marketing you know and as a result we wake up every day to hundreds of messages from all over the different platforms asking from people all over the world asking if we've got something we can sell you know and that's the thing it's a longer play when you're playing the content game, as you know, Alex, but it's one in the social environment. You don't have a fucking choice. And if you try to force it, you're going to be that creeper at the bar that keeps rocking up on girls, you know, and, you know, you're trying to take them back to your room on the first line versus, hey, slow down. Let's have a chat, Mm -hmm. you know. Let's go out a couple times, you know. Then maybe let's exchange phone numbers. Who knows? And, um, you know, that's the environment we're living in right now. And we have to cater, you know, to that, exposure being metered over a period of time and stop trying to go in straight for the kill straight
1: away yeah we've been doing content like that for years and years and years and it's like you need to kind of separate like in your mind you're making content make the very best content you can forget about selling anything link it to what you sell if you can right but don't try and sell anything and just basically educate or something like that Absolutely. a part of the reason that we're doing the podcast is because again with the volume of content required we you know, we want to add value. We spend a lot of money on this just to add value. And, you know, we talk about everything as well. Right. But again, just it's, it's, it's too kind of to invest you know, and
0: when you stack your channels and stack your exposures, well, 20 exposures, oh, that's going to take fucking forever. No, it could take like a day and a half. It could take half a day. If you're across mm-hmm. all channels or platforms, you're posting on a regular basis, plus five to 10 stories a day, you can get to, you know, 20 exposures quick smart. It comes down to your ability to produce that content and distribute that content. But as a really interesting side note, Alex, and you'll probably enjoy this, for the first nine months when we launched our Facebook and our Facebook blew up, we only published one new video per week. Wow. That was it. Wow. I know. Everybody says that. And we went through our, some How of about, our- long were the videos? How long were they? Uh, they were the social experiment videos. So they were, let's call it eight to 35 minutes long.
1: Wow. And did you do little snippets as well? Like little-
0: Little bits and pieces, but it was only one video a week. One video a week. And then we built up and then we could obviously repost. Yeah. Um, and now we post, uh, I think it's five new, just on Facebook, five new pieces of content a week. Yeah. But obviously, we're rescheduling, you know, on those other post schedules, um, content, you know, high performing content from previous posts.
1: So any good hacks then just since like you just kind of chucked a little process in there that you just went, I am by the way, we just did that. I'm like, there's ad hack. And
0: I say, get good, get good organic reach, <laughs> we fucking will smash your ad strategy, you know, because Facebook okay. really do want to create a good user experience, you know, that that we can attest to for the most part. And, you know, when you've got good. Content that's performing well organically that almost ensures for Facebook that someone's gonna have a much greater probability of a good user experience if they engage with your ad and your product and service. And so we've found, you know, the sentiment off the back of a good content strategy, you know, can take your cost per conversion from $42 down to $1.65. You know, and 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 Facebook's in the business of, yes, they're in the business of making money, but they can only make money if they retain users. Mm you know and so to me it's about how do we how do we play into their because people keep saying as you know organics dead but you've only got to look around and see that there's still plenty of organic influencers out there that are doing really well but their content's just on point production value's got higher you know sound value everything has gotten higher um but at the same time now we have these little you know platforms like TikTok popping up and you've got you know 13 year olds making 1.8 million dollars a deal on endorsements
1: so it's <laughs> yeah nuts. Yeah, like, like, and I do like the idea of just having some type of documentary of these larger companies. I mean, that stuff would be interesting. Like, I'd love to see Coca-Cola, for example. What the hell happens in Coca-Cola? I mean, How riveted would you be right now
0: if Australia Post had a fucking documentary?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean,
0: As an example, you know, and again, I, I, I know that's one that's quite dramatic, but this is what people got to understand. In our content, I show everything. I show the drama. I show the highs. I show those. In fact, Matthias, he's hell bent on showing people the worst of me because that's what people like the most. They like to see me flawed. They like to see me being human. And Matthias just loves it because there's plenty of fucking opportunities to show people. But again, it resonates because it's not so much me showing how flawed I am, it's people seeing how I respond to being flawed, mm. you know, and how I deal with being flawed.
1: Yeah. And I think it's also good um, like just for those large companies to have um, practical lawyers that will actually let some stuff go through you know (laughs) because I think everyone will be scared of the legal you know like the like we can't show that because what kind of if yeah what if that would be the biggest concern
0: especially with documentary because we got you know up until last week we had nine editors. And so, you know, we do need to have an oversight, like a legal oversight. And then that legal oversight is just a process, you know, making sure, you know, Kerwin's not talking about, you know, psychedelics or cannabis too much or, you know, just really being cautious of some of the things that I am saying. Because as you know, I will talk about anything, you know, when it comes to the realms of my experience, there's nothing that I won't go near. Uh, and as a result, sometimes, you know, if it's a live one off, that's fine. But, if, you know, sometimes you just don't want that in um, perpetuity.
1: Yeah. Okay. Let's jump now because, man, just, <laughs> we can chat. That's for sure. Personal professional development, right? Is there a difference between personal and professional development? And if so, what would be the difference?
0: Look, I don't know, but if you did want to categorize it, you'd go, well, personal development is like amateur. Professional development is like, you know, you're doing it for commercial gain. You know, and I guess any form of development is a professional development if it makes you has increases your capacity as an earner, you know, um, or a player. You know, more importantly, um, but I'm big, you know, and like you, you know, we've invested probably hundreds of thousands, if not over a million bucks, on stuff but a business will never outgrow the development of the owner. You know, we're always constantly trying to grow the business in some way and whether it's a scale up or scale down, you're still trying to grow something and, you know, businesses are are organic in their ability to grow, but like a plant in the garden, they need to be tended, you know? And um, I think that's an important part of the process is, is the tendering part and and, and making time to um, yeah, support the growth.
1: So what, are Other areas, in a professional sense, for marketing leaders, for business leaders, for CEOs, for founders, yep. there comes a point where you've achieved a certain amount of success, and the thing I've seen is that that's where people stop their growth. Like you know, and so how do people get past that point? You know, just where you like, I'm really busy now. Like like I've like like I've studied, I've got professional development. Like I'm making some good income, or my business is this. I don't have time anymore. Like, how do people professional development? Yeah, for professional development, do you know what I mean? Like, how do you now to tend the garden and then wondering why it dies? You know,
0: if you and this is the thing that I kind of correlate with professional development. It's like going to the gym; it's got to be a way of life. If it's not, if your professional development isn't a way of life strategy, you're already fucked. And I don't mean that to be rude. I mean that because you're already treating it like um, a prescription medication. You know, for me, performance uh, has to be a way of life. Because if it's not a way of life, then it's something that you are doing. It's not something you're being. Whereas for me, it's got to just. It's just frankly, the sooner professional development becomes a way of life, the sooner you just get used to the process of growing. And that's what you know. As as organisms, we are here to do. We're here to grow and evolve. Um, and when we limit our potential to do that, you know, we limit our potential to evolve. And to me, that's, you know, ultimately the greatest fulfillment of our purpose is being able to experience as much as we possibly can while we're here in the areas that light us up the most. And I think sometimes when people go, well, I'm just not motivated anymore, you know, you've really got to start looking at, well, what are your motives? What are your values? Because and, and, and you probably get this as well, Alex. People come and go, oh, how do I motivate myself? You know, what's a good book for motivation? I said, well, that's a fucking stupid question first and foremost. Okay, because if, if you're looking for a book or a tape or a podcast to motivate you, you're already fucked because you're looking on the outside. Motivation is not an outside job; it's an inside job. And the only way you're going to find, you know, what your true motivations are, is by getting to know who you are and what your genuine core values are. You know, because a core value is a motive, and when you understand what your motives are, you're better able to understand the decisions that you make, and you don't sit there and go, "Why do I keep making these silly decisions?" or "Why am I not motivated to make money when I really should be and everyone else is?" Uh, and so for me, you know, a big part of the performance game is self-awareness, you know, and if you don't, you will. your development will always be limited by what you're aware of or, as, you, as of your obstacles or your opportunities.
1: Because I, I sometimes like, mentor people and one of the questions I ask is, what do you want? <laughs> and I think, like, I think that that's a really good question. It's like, hey, I'm not motivated anymore or hey… I feel stuck or, hey, I don't know, you know, like, like I've lost something. It's like, what do you want? And it's such a hard question for people to answer sometimes because you might find yourself on a path and you're now lost oh, in that path. Earlier on, I thought I wanted
0: money, you know, and end up on paths where I was making money, but I was fucking miserable, you know. And then when I realized what I really wanted was not to be happy, was to be to live in harmony and to be happy. You know, then I started aligning with pursuits that, you know, gave me more of that. Yeah,
1: when I was um, um, younger, um, I think maybe the mid-20s and I had like this job and I, you know, we were selling like ringtones and love calculators on phones. Killing it, right? Killing it. I think we were selling so much. But then a, a couple of years in, I think we were the the, the light fast 50 we were like at the top through this terrible, like like it was not value adding to the world. But I had had enough money at that point that it wasn't about the money anymore. And I was so interested that I was like, because up until that point, it was all about the money. I was like, I didn't care what it is, just as long as I got money. And then it comes a point where it's enough. And then all of a sudden, everything changes, right? And so it's like, what do people do when they're at that point where they've changed, where something's changed in their values and they have realized that they're on the wrong path? But maybe it's too scary, too change path, or maybe just the, the fear starts to come in. I think step one is suffer. You've got to
0: experience some pain. If you're not going to experience some pain, you're not going to change. And, you know, I think there's a lot of beauty in being lost because it creates in great levels of discomfort, but also levels of boredom. And I think sometimes when people are unsure of what to do, they need to literally just completely unplug from the world and go and get bored because it's when we get bored is when we get creative, you know, and this happened with our kids yesterday the kids were wanting to watch screen. We're like, no, no screen time. You know, go and, you know, go and use your imagination. And there was whinging and bitching and moaning. And anyway, two minutes later, it was silence. And We go outside and, you know, they're playing with cardboard boxes. And they played with cardboard boxes for three and a half hours. And, you know, David DeAda, and I'm pretty sure you've, you've probably read The Way of the Superior Man. You know, he talks about a really important phase of life for men. And I would go as far as to say for women as well you know, when you are unsure of what to do, when you are, you know, lacking in direction to actually do nothing, like actually dedicate time to doing nothing, you know, void of distraction. Because if, you know, you're in that bored place and you fill your life with distraction, you may not see the thing that is just burgeoning under the surface that when it comes along, you know, if you're looking at every other shiny object there, you might miss that. Um, And that to me plays really well into the boredom, you know, the, the boredom scenario. We've got to get to a point where we you know are bored enough for you know wh- whatever is new to come to the surface if that's where you're in if you're in that
1: stage of life and i think there's a lot of opportunity for that right now with everything happening in the world you know i think there's a lot of uncertainty there's a lot of people questioning just where they are and you know just and there's a lot of opportunity you know and sometimes it is hard to take a new step you know so i do like your suggestion of just be bored i find it really hard to sit still so i wouldn't know what to do I'm planning on doing this over Christmas because like,
0: I, I haven't been bored in so long now and I'm looking for a creative burst, you know, and so the way I get a creative burst is I unplug and I get completely bored and I don't, you know, I go, I'm going to buy a caravan. I'm going to go and fucking sit on a beach somewhere and, yeah, just get so bored that I start thinking about cool shit.
1: And for high performance individuals who just want to get to that next level, right, what are some ways they can think bigger
0: I don't know if it's necessarily about thinking bigger. Like for me, performance. A lot of performance. You know, yes, thinking bigger is important. But to me, that's a variable that can be managed quite easily. The the variables that are more difficult to manage when it comes to performance is knowing how to regulate the systems in your body that enable you to perform at a higher level consistently in situations where people couldn't, you know, so I'm emo- learning how to regulate emotions is, you know, critical learning how to regulate stress, which are both biological, you know, consequential actions in the body. And you know, one of the things that I've learned that's most important when it comes to performance, the more I can work with an individual and show them how to regulate those systems, just as those two based systems, right? The more performance they're able to achieve as a direct result, the more flow states they're able to achieve as a direct result, you know, because a lot of people don't realize the impact of stress and f- emotions when it comes to performance you know emotions themselves are a, a filtering mechanism you know they're 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 they're, an emo- they're they're in a chemical response that starts in the brain and they change the way we filter information in order to maintain the vibration of that emotion so if you're feeling positive you have to ignore all the negative if you're feeling negative you have to ignore all the positive you know and as entrepreneurs we want to be able to see everything i don't want to just be biased in looking at information i don't want to have information bias and that's why we've got to be able to look at everything
1: yeah right yeah right and Ah, it's a hard part, man. That's a whole nother discussion. Listen. I could open a door if I would keep going. Sorry, what's that? See, I was going to open a big door if I kept going that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that you know the doors (laughs) Um, and how big they can go. Let's just finish off with some quick fire questions, right? Um, There's a five questions I have to ask, yeah? Yeah. Number one, what book has had the biggest impact on your success?
0: Gosh. Oh, damn. That's a tough one. Oh, fundamental thinking, grow rich. Yeah, look, I know it's cliche, but actually, there's another one that really has because it kind of started at a very different journey, and it may not necessarily be one that people would expect. It's called the Holographic Universe by Malcolm uh, Malcolm Glad no Malcolm Gladwell, Malcolm Tal Malcolm Talbot the holographic universe just helps people have an understanding of the fundamentals of how reality is formed. And yeah, I find the more I understand about reality, the more I can play with it.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Number two, what's your number one piece of advice for hiring awesome people?
0: Ooh, yeah. I guess I'd call it values elicitation, you know, skills and values elicitation. Like my job is not a skills elicitation. My job when I interview someone is to find out what their genuine values are. And I do that just by asking questions like, so tell me about you. Where did you grow up? What did you do? What were your hobbies? What do you do in your spare time? Like what do you do for fun? What lights you up? Uh, Because what I'm really looking for when it comes to hiring good talent is people that are aligned with the values of the organization who are going to come in and just naturally kind of flow. And so for me, values elicitation is critical because they're the core fundamentals of motives. You know, they have the core motives, motivations. And if we've got similar motivations, then we're going to move in the same direction.
1: And how do you find values? This is just a quick follow-up question. (laughs) It's a really simple process. You just ask
0: things like so what's important to you like but I I do it contextually so tell me about where you grew up you know Um, did you play sport at school did you have any hobbies at school like what did you do for fun when you're at school what about now what do you do for fun now what do you do on the weekends like you know when you're not at work what do you do you know if you had 100 million bucks in the bank what would you spend it on like I just want to find out and I want to ask enough questions to really kind of explore and go what are their genuine values but in most mm-hmm. cases, it just sounds like a really natural conversation. So many, so many times people come out and go, oh, I didn't feel like an interview. I just felt like it was a chat. And I was like, yeah, it was a great chat. You know, but I realized you're perfect for us or you're not perfect for us.
1: Mm-hmm. You know? That's because- fantastic, perfect, mate. Really. Yeah, that, that's great. Number three, what's your best time management or productivity tip?
0: Oh, schedule it done is probably one of the best ones you know if it's got to get done it's got to be it's got to be in the schedule like my time management and, and again this might sound really obnoxious but I have I actually have a PA that manages my time for me so I don't even have to think about time management but to me you know without a schedule without a list without an objective um, yeah you're basically if you aim at nothing you'll hit it with re- remarkable accuracy every single time you know and the way we plan like because we plan every year we break it down in the quarter we break it down in the month and we break it down in the week and then we break it down in the day you know Vern, we, we follow similar principles to you know to the rockefeller habits and that, and so as a result we always have a plan and we always know what to do and there's never a moment where we sit there and go shit what do i need to do um, you know there's always a document you can look and go fuck there's a to do or there's a goal or there's a priority
1: perfect number four what's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received
0: it's a really good question best piece of business advice i've ever received look the one that keeps popping into my mind is that it always takes twice as long and costs 10 times as much <laughs> I hear you there, brother. <laughs> um, and that to me is you know, really just a advice on perspective of you know, whether you're playing a long game or a short game. Um, but yeah, it always, it's always harder than it looks. You know? Always. Something like that that, that, that that optimistic start when you get into business
1: and you think anything is possible. And I think that's sometimes required because otherwise, why the fuck would you do it? <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. And number five, last one. Um, how do you relax after a crazy day in the
0: office? It's interesting. It's changed a lot um, because now I've I've repartnered um, my new my new partner. She's got a nine year old daughter, so I've got a very big family vibe going on right now. Um, but the way that I chill out is I spend time with my family, and you know sometimes it's beautiful, quiet, and sometimes it's beautiful <laughs> chaos. Um, but you know, for me, the number one way I chill out and it's going to sound, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe the ladies out there will enjoy this is when I have my partner in my arms and the more of her skin I can feel like we just neutralize each other. And so the moment I touch her, I just go neutral. uh, And I find myself able to chill out very easily. Um, But apart from that, I meditate a lot, but I normally do that in the early part of the day.
1: Um, And yeah, just play with the kids. That's awesome, Kerwin. Now, for the listeners of the podcast, if there was one action that you would like them to take, subscribe somewhere or to go somewhere, what would you like them to do? Yeah, great question. Look, I think um, the,
0: the, the most important thing you could do right now is to take some form of action. The action I would suggest you take is that if on some level something I've said has resonated with you, um, I'll say this. My information is very good. And if you want to increase your performance, just follow me on Instagram, Facebook. LinkedIn, YouTube, and my information, my content will come up enough to affect you in some way, you know, whether it be small or large, it will change your life forever.
1: And his content's good stuff. I've looked at it and he's still one of the people I still check out his content.
0: Sounds obnoxious, but I look at our content. And I go, we actually do really good content. And I, I, again, I hope that doesn't sound arrogant,
1: but, you know, I do appreciate good information. That's no, fantastic information. Kerwin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I made it within time. We didn't get even a fraction of the stuff I wanted to talk about, but
0: I really do appreciate it. Let's do a follow up, mate. I want to do a follow up. I you love sure? it. Are yeah. you up for a follow up? Yeah, definitely. Get it in the book with Annabelle and we'll do another one. We can dive into some other topics.
1: Yeah, because I've got so many topics, but this has been a good first one. And I love talking to you, mate. Mate, this is so awesome. Thanks so much for your time today, Kerman. We'll talk soon. Talk soon, Alex. Thanks, mate. See you, mate. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Growth Manifesto podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. For more episodes, please visit growthmanifesto.com forward slash podcast. And if you need help driving growth for your company, please get in touch with us at webprofits.io.